Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. So glad to have you here with us today for episode 381 of the Speaker Lab podcast. Today, we've got Jesse Beyer, who's joining us to talk about why authoring a book can be a game changer for speakers. Now, Jesse is a successful author and speaker who got started right out of the gate as a college graduate. And her personal story of facing mental health challenges really sparked a desire to share her message with others, especially in higher education. And during our conversation today, Jesse is going to reveal the challenges that she faced soon after launching her speaking career and how her persistence to share her message soon found itself in the form of her first book. That book, How to Heal, ignited the growth of her career, and she's going to be sharing the ins and outs of that journey and how she's helping other entrepreneurs do the same. We're also going to talk more about what it takes to author a book, self-publishing versus traditional publishing, finding the balance between being a speaker and an author, and also what it looks like to face your insecurities. Jesse's energy and experience brings a ton to our conversation. She's been in the trenches of building a career and is committed to helping others find their voice and personal success in the industry. There's a ton we can learn from Jesse, so let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with Jesse Beyer. Enjoy. Hey, what's up, friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Today, we're going to be chatting with Jesse Beyer, talking about the importance of books for speakers. So, uh, Jesse, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Grant. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, let's first start by, uh, why don't you paint a little picture of what you do, what your world is, how uh, books and speaking kind of intersect for you. Absolutely. So in a one-line nutshell, I am a speaker and an author in the field of mental health. And then I also have a side of my business where I help other entrepreneurs, speakers, coaches, course creators, and people like that go from blank page to publisher and write a book of their own. So kind of going back to the beginning of my entrepreneurial journey, it really started with my own mental health struggles when I was in high school. I think most people who work in the mental health space have some sort of personal story with that. And as I started to heal, I started to just kind of have conversations with people and say, hey, you know, I went through this. What did you go through? And every time I'd have one of those conversations, I would just see this little light bulb go off in their eyes of like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm not the only one. There was actually yeah. someone else struggling with this. So when I saw how much of an impact those conversations could make, I was like, okay, how can I reach more people with this? How can I have a bigger audience with this? And that's really how I landed in speaking. I was always that kid in high school. You know, I'd be the one to give the announcements out of my, my club or my group because no one else wanted to stand up in front of the school and do it. So I had a little bit of background with speaking, but I really dove into the professional speaking world soon after I graduated college and was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to focus on collegiate audiences because my age really lined up well with that. It was an interesting start. I'll just put it that way. I, I sent out so many pitches and reached out to so many people in my first year of quote professional speaking i think i booked like three gigs and maybe made about four thousand dollars which mm -hmm. is great you know like that's yeah, a great sure. start but when you're trying to make that your full-time living you're like oh my gosh what did i just get myself into 
And throughout that, I was like, okay, I need to do something else. I need something more. I need more to this business that I'm building. So I I published my book, which is about natural and integrative trauma therapy is something that's very passionate to me. And I won't, you know, nerd out too much about that, but I published my book and the most amazing thing happened, which Grant, I'm sure you've seen so many times with your own community, is that I published my book and my ability to get speaking gigs increased exponentially. Hmm. I went from speaking three to four times that first year to speaking, I believe, 14 times over the course of one semester. So over about three months, simply, I believe, because my book came out and I leveraged that in the right way to grow my speaking business as well. So that's kind of how I got into that space. And then, of course, when you're an entrepreneur and something goes well for you, you have so many friends that are like, oh, my gosh, how did you do it? I want to do the same thing. And so I just kind of tumbled into helping other entrepreneurs write and publish their books as well. But, yeah, that's kind of my background and who I am, what I do and how I got here. Let's go back in time for a second. So you finished college, you're interested in speaking and you're like, okay, I'm going to do this. What are the, or did you have any type of doubts or insecurities, especially going like, I'm in my early twenties. Uh, who am I to be speaking? I, I, I haven't lived much life. I don't have a ton of professional experience. So did you have any of those doubts or worries? I actually didn't. I had just this like brazen naivety going forward because my first speaking gig that I ever pitched was Rachel Hollis's Rise Conference. I had no idea who she was, which I was probably living under a rock at the time, but I was like, oh, women's empowerment. I can speak about mental health and personal development there. So I just like sent an email off and said, hey, are you accepting speaking applications? Come to find out months later how big of a conference this was and how big of a business Rachel Hollis had. But that's kind of how I approached it. I was like, I am confident that I have something to share. I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing, but I'm really just going to go for it and see what can come of that. I think actually some of the insecurities kind of started to come in later when things were harder than I anticipated. And, you know, you get some nasty replies from people and the, what do you think you're doing starts to creep in and things like that. But yeah, in the beginning, I was just going for it. I had no doubts whatsoever. So even after that first year or so, you do three gigs, you make about four grand, which again is, is nothing insignificant, but at the same time, like if you're going to try to do this full time, eat, live indoors, it's hard to make ends meet on four grand. So at that point, are you going like, well, you know, we gave it a shot. didn't work out. Or like what keeps you going at that point versus just throwing in the towel and being like, eh, I'll find something different. You know, it was a combination of a couple of different things. Part of it was just this full bodied belief in the message that I had to share. I truly believe to my core that I could help people with what I had to say and the message that I wanted to share on stages. And I wasn't ready to give up on that yet. I think another part of it was I'm kind of stubborn and competitive in the sense that I saw other speakers, whether it's you or your clients or some other people that I knew that were making a lot of money speaking and were having a ton of success. And I'm like, there is nothing different about me and them in terms of our inherent worth or our ability to speak on stages. Like I can be just as good as them and I refuse to quit until I get there. And of course there's still room to grow. I'm by no means saying that I've peaked in terms of my speaking career, but it was just kind of that, like, I refuse to give up because I know it's possible. I have all of these examples in front of me um, that I'm going to continue doing it. And I think the third part of it was just kind of, I did not want to quit and get a nine to five. I have a dog that I treat like a child. And I was like, I'm not going to leave her alone for 40, 60 hours a week. Um, and really just dedication to the potential that entrepreneurship could, could give me in terms of the lifestyle and the impact and income that I wanted. So probably a combination of those three things is really what kept me going forward. Do you think that that is something that is uh, you're just born with or you're not born with? Because there, there's a lot of speakers who kind of have the insecurities and doubts going like, well, you know, they have some special story or they have some special ability or they have some special, you know, talent or charisma that I just don't have. And you're looking at it going like, well, if, if those jokers can do it, I can certainly do it. Right. And so where, like, is that something that can be taught or you just feel like, yeah, you either have it or you don't? Yeah. You know, it's a good question. I think it definitely can be taught. 
But I also think that it requires more of a reframe of a perspective than like, here's how to become more tenacious with your goals. My story is really nothing incredible. One in four women will experience sexual assault in their lifetime. One in seven people will experience a trauma during their lifetime. Depression is ridiculously common. Suicide rates have gone up by 51% for women in the US. Like there's so many things happening in terms of mental health. And so many people are going to experience that. I just made the decision in my life that I was not going to let that period and those struggles be for nothing. I was going to do something with them. And I was going to use that pain and that struggle and that ultimate triumph that I was able to make it through that part of my life. And I'm going to do something with it. And so I think when people are looking at their story, like you were saying, and they're like, well, you know, I don't have anything incredible. I don't, you know, I'm just kind of an average Joe. I think even the average Joe has something to share because there's this thing that I call the doctor in a white lab coat syndrome, where when you stand up on stage and you have your PhD and your MD and your MBA and like eight other acronyms after your name, you're kind of unrelatable because someone who's sitting in the audience, who's in the trenches of whatever they're struggling with, they're going to look up at you and they're going to be like, okay, well, that's all fine and dandy, but this person is incredible. You know, how the heck am I supposed to relate to them? But when you stand up there and say, Hey, I'm just like you. I worked at the grocery store too. I'm a mom too. Whatever those things are for you, that builds a really good relationship with your audience. And as a speaker, that's what you do is you build a relationship and you tell a story. And so it's just that reframe of even the quote mundane things in my story can make a huge difference in someone else's life because they made me into who I am today. So even whenever you made the decision though, that I want to be a speaker, I, I've experienced some of this trauma and this pain in the past. I think I can help other people with this. I feel like speaking could be a good platform or medium to do that. Like, where do you even go from there? You know, cause it's one thing to, again, like you said, go to a conference or an event or you see someone on stage and it's like, yeah, but how did they get up there? Like what, like what happens between point A and point B of going like, I want to be a speaker now what? Like, it sounds like you started pitching a bunch of people, but like, who do you pitch and how do you know what to say? And like, what was the process there between point A and point B? Definitely. That's a great question. So I got help right away. I think I joined a couple entrepreneurial Facebook groups and I met a woman named Jacqueline DiGregorio who hosted a college speaking masterclass. It's like a group coaching program. And I was mm -hmm. like, yes, I'm in. Learn from her a ton about the basics of exactly like you said, who do you pitch? Who at a college is the right point of contact? What do you price yourself at? What should your pitch email look like? And really walk me through those basics. And I was just a sponge. I took everything that she said and applied it in the best way that I could. I've made so many improvements since then, right? But I just, I took it all and I went for it. Um, and it was incredibly helpful to have that guidance. So as someone who's listening to this podcast, join Grant's program, like get a level of support from someone who's done it before. Listen to this podcast, read the blog, things like that. Because just having that little bit of information of like, okay, here's who to pitch. Here's kind of how to price yourself based on your experience. Here's what a contract looks like, because yes, you need a contract. And then just taking that information and really going with it. I sent out my gosh, probably 2000 pitches that first semester that I tried to mm. speak. I was just spending hours researching and reaching out to people and really just putting everything that I had out there. So I guess that's kind of my, my biggest tip is yes, get the technicalities and the pitch email. Don't make it too long, include some credentials and things like that in there, but then do it and go for it and keep trying, keep reaching out. Because if you pitch 10 people, yeah, you might land a gig and that's fantastic. But if you pitch a thousand, 
you know, how many opportunities could you have there? And I think it's just easy for, you know, uh, especially speakers early on in their career to say that all sounds good, but we feel like we have to have everything polished and buttoned up and we have to like, I know exactly what to say. And it sounds like, you know, what I would agree with to your, to your point of like, you give some advice, you get some feedback, you get some coaching. And then like some of it's just, you figure out as you go and you jump out of the plane, you're trying to build the parachute on your way down. And, you know, you're, you're just, you're figuring it out as you go. So if you just said, well, you know, I don't have everything quite ready and I did that and I'm just going to sit and on the sidelines and wait till it's all together. Like, you know, you don't make any progress. You don't go anywhere. So like, what would you say to that speaker? Who's going like, you know, well, I just, I just want to wait and the timing isn't right. Or I'm just going to, you know, keep kicking the can down the road. You decided for whatever reason, like, you know, I'm going to do this now and I don't have my crap together, but I'm going to figure it out as I go and I'm going to do the best that I can. So like, what would you say to that speaker? Well, I'd say two things. Number one, I'm an Enneagram one hardcore, which means that I am a planner and I am a perfectionist and I want to have Mm. everything laid out. And so for me, I completely felt that pressure and I put, you know, I work quickly. I probably put more work into perfecting my pitch and perfecting my outreach than I may be letting on and just saying like, I just went for it. I did spend the time and really try to get that as good as possible. But I also knew that I was going to continue to make mistakes. Even people who are really successful in their careers, they're still going to make mistakes and they're going to learn things. And so that mentality of like, okay, well, if you wait till you're perfect, you're never going to get started. You're never going to get anywhere. You're going to end up working it. I don't even know where Like your life and your mission and your message are going to end up going nowhere if you don't just get started. So I really tapped into that why and said, why am I doing this? What do I want out of this? How can I help people with this? And using that kind of as the motivation to say, okay, we're going to get it the best that we can right now, but then we're going to go for it and we're going to learn along the way. To that point, even this semester, so the, the upcoming spring 2022 semester, I started pitching a new type of group at a college campus that I never reached out to before. I thought it was going to be a really great fit. I had heard from some peers of mine that they had similar presentations at similar groups that went really well. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. The amount of nasty emails that I got back from people saying that this was a completely irrelevant group and that I had no idea what they were about and blah, 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 blah. I'm learning that as I'm going, right? So I'm saying this could be a good fit. I'm going to reach out. I'm going to try it. It didn't work. Okay, I'm not going to do it again. And that's a constant evolution that you have as a speaker or an entrepreneur or an author is you're going to try something. It's going to either work or not work. And then you're going to iterate based on how that went for you. Why did you ultimately decide to start by focusing on colleges? Because when you, when you take a topic like trauma, you know, or mental health, like that's something that affects humans everywhere. Right. So, which is a dangerous thing because it's easy for people to say, well, my message is, is for everybody. My message is for humans. And we think that, you know, we have to spread the net as far and wide as possible. And it's counterintuitive, but like the more narrow, the more focused we are, the easier it is to actually find gigs. So what made you decide like, okay, I could speak to everybody. This is hypothetically relevant for everybody, but I'm going to focus specifically on college students. Yeah, there was a couple a couple different pieces to that puzzle. The first of which was my age. I graduated college at 20. I started speaking at 21. I was young. Yeah. I didn't have a lot of credibility or expertise. And I figured if I walked into Nike or Google or Apple or some of these really big corporations or even small businesses in my local area and said, hey, I'd like to speak to you. I was worried I'd get laughed out of the building. But I knew that I had a level of relatability to college students because I was very similar in age to them. So I knew what it was like. I had just graduated. I had just been there. I knew kind of what struggles at that age group were like. And I felt like not only could I relate to my audience better, but I might have an easier time getting into the college market because of that age similarity and experience similarity. The second thing was 
kind of a, a cost benefit analysis of profit, honestly. What I heard about college speaking before I got started was that in the grand scheme of things or on the larger scale, it's relatively easy to get into. I mean, you don't need 8,000 PhDs to speak on a college campus. And at the same time, um, you can make a decent amount of money. I mean, like on the small end of that spectrum, you have local libraries where maybe they'll pay you a hundred bucks and it's really easy to get into all the way up to corporate and government where, you know, you can get five, 10, $15,000 a gig, but it's much harder to get into. I was kind of shooting the middle of that scale just yeah. to try to make, you know, enough money to live. Right. But also something that I could reasonably get into with the experience and expertise that I had. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think also kudos to you. Uh, and I think this is a good lesson for people who are younger whenever they get started speaking. I was in the same boat. I was in my early 20s and going like, who? There's several times I'm speaking. And I'm like, I'm the youngest person in the room. Like, what am I doing up here? Why are these people listening to me? But to your point, like rather than age being a liability, turning it into an asset of going like, depending on the audience that you're speaking to, if you're speaking to a you know a college market or a high school market, knowing that like I'm much more relatable in age than someone who is twice their age going like, why would I listen to this clown? You know, so I think that that, that age thing uh, really sounds like it, it worked in your favor. Hey friends, do you know the five steps to book more gigs and get paid as a speaker? Well, if not, listen up because these same five steps to help me to grow a seven-figure speaking career are all laid out in great detail in my latest book, The Successful Speaker. Five steps for booking gigs, getting paid, and building your platform. Whether you want to speak as a side hustle or your dream is to become a full-time professional speaker, I know what it takes. I share all of that with you in this definitive step-by-step -step roadmap. Let me be your guide. Learn from my mistakes. Get paid what you know you're worth to share your unique message on stage. If you want to read the first chapter for free or just check out the book, go to thespeakerlab.com slash book. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash book. Check out your copy of The Successful Speaker. So it sounds like you had a you know a decent year. You're getting something going. You you book a couple of gigs. At what point did you decide I should do a book? And is the point of the book thinking like I should do a book because that's going to lead to more gigs, or is it just like the speaking thing may or may not be working? So let's try something different. Or like why a book next? Definitely more of the latter. It was kind of partly my frustration of like oh my gosh I've put so much work into speaking and it isn't working. I'm going to try a book instead. That being said, I was also that kid that was just writing from the minute I knew what a pencil was. And I had written, you know, little picture books. And I would always ask my teachers what the maximum word count was instead of the minimum word count for different <laughs> essays. And so a book was not out of the question or like out of the norm for me. And it actually started as my capstone project for college. It was supposed to be a literature review. I had written so many lit reviews at that point. I was like, hey, I want to do a book instead. It's going to be like 10 times as long. So way more work for me. Is that okay? And uh, I went to a pretty traditional university and my advisor was like, absolutely not. You need to have um, a lit review, no questions asked. So I spent the entire semester writing my book and doing the research and interviewing different people in my field and then spent the last like three hours before my lit review was due writing the lit review. So I graduated college. I had this finished manuscript and kind of went down the rabbit hole of, I have to get a traditional publishing deal. I have to get a traditional publishing deal or my book isn't gonna be valid. People are gonna laugh me out of the building. It's gonna be horrible. And I spent many, many months querying literary agents and trying to get a book deal and nothing happened. So I was like, okay, should I put this on the shelf for three years and try to build up a bigger audience? Because that's the feedback that I was getting that I don't have a big enough audience to get yeah. a traditional publishing deal. Um, should I put this on the shelf? And then I was, this was kind of all happening at the same time that I started speaking. And I was like, you know what? This is too important. 
this message could have changed my life and my healing journey for the better. I don't want to sit on this for three years. I'm going to do something with it. That led me down the route of self-publishing, which I'm very happy that I did. It's what I teach my students and clients to do as well. Um, but it all kind of came together in this sense of, I have to share this message. It changed my life. It can change someone else's life. And I'm so straight it with speaking. So let's distract myself a little bit and try something new here. And it really was the best decision I could have made for my speaking journey because it gave me that credibility. It gave me that easy, in, maybe not, I don't want to say easy because I don't think anything is ever quite easy, but that easier win into um, different connections and speaking opportunities and things like that. But uh, yeah, in a nutshell, that's kind of how it all came together for me. So you do the book, you decide to self-publish it. And then it sounds like that, that there was sounds like a fairly immediate impact in terms of the speaking business, but it's not just, I have a book, like nobody cares. Um, but something happened for you there that becomes like a, I don't know, creates some momentum for you in booking gigs. So kind of walk us through, you have a book, so what, but now what, like what happens as a result of that, that leads to the speaking. A bit of context, because I do think this really did make a difference. When my book came out, it actually hit the top of nine different bestsellers categories in Amazon and cracked the top 10 in an additional five. I had sales in nearly a dozen different countries. We reached hundreds of readers in the first couple of days of the launch. So it was a very successful launch in my book. I was very proud of that, very excited about that. Yeah. But what I did with that was I used that credibility of saying, okay, I was a number one bestselling author on Amazon. And I just kind of started putting it everywhere. It was in my Instagram bio, it was on my website, it was in my speaker kit. I put a line at the beginning of my emails when I would reach out to people for speaking gigs saying, hey, you know, my name is Jesse Beyer. And instead of just saying, I'm a mental health advocate, like I think mental health is cool. I would say I'm the number one bestselling author of how to heal and would kind of lead with that. And it was interesting. I think it was a combination of different things, partly that credibility, because I had a lot of people reply back that said, oh my gosh, you know, I looked up your book on Amazon. It was awesome. I'm really excited about this. We'd be so honored to have an author come speak at our campus. So I think it was partly the credibility, but I think it was also kind of, you know, the rock when it starts rolling downhill, it's going to roll mm -hmm. downhill faster. And so I had been putting in the work from speak or from speaking the previous semester. And I continued to put in the work, kept pitching hundreds and hundreds of pitches um, and the confidence of like, okay, now I'm just not a nobody that thinks mental health is cool, but I have a bit of backing behind me. I have great endorsements, great reviews, um, the bestsellers list. And that kind of boosted my confidence. So I'm sure that I showed up differently on sales calls and communicating with different clients and things like that. So kind of a combination of all of that, but from a very tactical perspective, I literally just said it, you know, I'm a number one bestselling author. This is my book. You can check me out here. Here's a free copy. Read it. This is what I'm about. And really kind of led with that in my discussions. And it really did make a huge difference over the coming months for me. Do you find that, that if it was either, um, if the book hadn't done as well, let's say it wasn't a bestseller or it was for kind of a, a different audience or different niche, do you think that it would have had the kind of impact on your speaking business that it had? I don't think so. I've had some because then I can say, oh, I am an author and I did write this book, but I was intentional in the way that I tied it together. I mean, my signature presentation comes directly from my book. So there's yeah. that link there. Um, it is written for the layperson. It's not a book from, you know, a psychological professional to another psychological professional. It's very conversational. I'm kind of sarcastic in it. You know, it's me just talking to another human. Um, so I was very intentional about how that all came together, but I think it would have been beneficial. And if you've, you know, written a book and you want to switch industries that you speak in, still include the fact that you wrote the book, but you can also be very smart about how you do it to have it 
make the best impact possible on your speaking career. Yeah. How have you thought about the balance between being a writer and being a speaker? Because there are, I'll give an example. Like when I got started speaking, all I want to do is book gigs, book gigs. Book gigs. And so like when I wrote a book, it was kind of like, I was a speaker who happened to have a book. Right. Whereas I know for other people, like the primary thing that they're doing is like, all I want, I write books. All I want to do is write books. All I want to do is sell books. And if speaking is a means to an end, helps me to do that. Great. So do you consider yourself more of a, a speaker who writes or a writer who speaks? I definitely consider myself more of a writer who speaks. I think writing and storytelling is kind of my identity. And then speaking is a thing that I do and a method of storytelling. I think both are important. I love doing both. I'm glad that both are a part of my business, but I definitely think that i I was a writer. I am a writer. I can sit, you know, all day, curl up on my couch with a cup of hot chocolate and write my books type of thing. Um, but speaking is, it almost feels like kind of another persona for me where I'm a huge introvert and I will literally stay in my apartment, you know, for seven weeks at a time, not really, but I'm, I'm that person that's just comfortable with myself. Yeah. And so for me to say, okay, I'm going to be the one that stands up. I'm going to be the one that gets up on stage and stands up tall and shares my story and really is this advocate for something that's so important that kind of feels like stepping into another part of myself. Whereas the writing is, is kind of inherently me, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So what would you say to the speaker who's, who's listening going like, okay, I've done a handful of gigs here and there and uh, I, I want to book more gigs. And so doing a book sounds intriguing if it's going to ultimately move the needle. So how do they know like whether or not they, they have a book, they should do a book. Cause I, I don't think that every speaker necessarily should do a book. And for some speakers, a book's going to make a huge impact for some, maybe not, but uh, like, when does it make sense? Is there a situation where it doesn't make sense? It's a really great question. I think for me, if I was looking at my story from my present coach's perspective, I would tell myself not to write a book because I, or at least not to publish it because I barely had any experience. I had no, I had nothing. I had like three speaking gigs and a bachelor's degree. You know, I really didn't have a ton under my belt. So I probably would have given myself the advice to get a bit more credibility, do some more speaking gigs, even if they are free ones at the library, like get my name out there a little bit more and then put a book out there. But at the same time, I'm so glad that I did it when I did, because it really was the catalyst for the career that I have now and the opportunities that are available to me now. I think what I would tell a speaker who's considering writing a book is to ask yourself what the goal is with the book. I don't know, Grant, your perspective on this, but I get really kind of disappointed when I see entrepreneurs, whether that's a speaker or a course creator or whatever, write a book to say that they're an author, but it's really just kind of a collection of blog posts that they've yeah. slapped together and thrown up on Amazon. Yep. I say, if you want to write a book, write the book, yep. go through the process, rip yourself open, pour yourself on the pages, do the editing, do the rewriting, do the launch team, do the whole thing to really become an author as opposed to someone who has a book on Amazon. And if you're at a time in your life and your business where you're not willing to do that or you're not ready to do that, then writing a book probably isn't the next best step for you. And that's okay. But that's the question I want you to ask yourself is how much are you willing to put into this? And if it's anything less than the entirety of your soul and your story, then it's probably not the right time. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Like just throwing something together, just a to, you know, a glorified PDF to put up on Amazon is stupid and it's a waste of everyone's time. So you're gonna yes. do a book, do a book. Um, yes. And and so yeah, put the effort and energy into it to make it something that that's worth reading, worth sharing, and worth people spreading with with uh, to others. So one thing I'm curious about as well is that for someone, especially who's in the early stages. So let, let's go back a few years to where you were of going like, I have this message that I want to share. You are interested in speaking, but you're also interested in writing. 
which should come first speaking or doing a book? It's kind of a, I know it could be like a, a chicken egg situation, but like, what do you think is, is best? Like what should, what should be the, the first choice there? Which feels like you the most, which feels like the best way to get your story out there the most, because to be completely honest, from a logistical perspective, it's not that difficult to have a book and become a speaker or to be a speaker and then write a book off of that. Like you can go either way relatively easily, at least in my experience. But if writing your story down and working through it that way and figuring out all of those pieces and what you want to share kind of in the comfort of your own home and your own computer seems like a really good way to get started and kind of get the ground underneath you a little bit, then go that way. If on the other hand, you're like, I just need to talk to people. I just need to get out there and speak to people and I'm going to figure it out from there. Then maybe get some speaking gigs under your belt and get out there and, and see what resonates with people, see what stories make the most impact and then write from there. I don't think it's quite as simplistic as are you an introvert or an extrovert, although I just kind of made it sound that way. But it's really just about what is going to get your story from inside of you to outside of you in a way that makes the most sense. Start there and then build from there. Yeah. I personally, I found that, you know, speaking actually helped me to become a better writer because whenever you are speaking, you are essentially workshopping material. You're trying out, like, I think this is funny, or I think this resonates, or I think this makes sense. And you're getting feedback of people nodding or taking notes or asking questions. And you, you get some of that real-time feedback that just helps you, helps inform a book that you may write later on that topic. If you've spoken, you know, uh, 50 or hundred times or five times, and you're getting some of that real-time feedback, it just makes a book better versus like, I'm making an educated guess on a book. And then like, once it's out in the world, it's hard to tweak. It's hard to fix. It's hard to change something in a book versus whenever it is, whenever you are presenting something in a, a speech. Now I want to go back to one other thing you touched on earlier of, okay, I'm interested in doing a book and I feel like I have to have it traditionally published. And that was maybe the case 20 years ago, but I'd be curious, kind of your experience, what you notice on pros and cons differences between uh, traditional and self-publishing and even kind of the hybrid stuff that exists today. Definitely. I completely agree. 20 years ago, we would have been having a completely different discussion about this. Um, I think that it is a completely valid way to write a book, self-publishing, because you get to retain all of the legal and creative rights. You get a higher percentage of revenue from each book sale. You get to make the decisions. What do you want your cover to look like? What do you want your content to look like? On the other hand, you don't get any support. So you are on your own. You are investing all of your own money into producing and creating this thing. Um, so there's definitely pros and cons. I think the old guard, and I'm using that in quotes for the people listening, would say traditional publishing, it's prestigious, it's what the real authors do. And yeah, there's definitely some prestige that comes with that. There's the support, there's the eligibility for, you know, New York Times, USA Today, bestsellers list and things like that. But if your goal with your book is storytelling and message and impact, I really don't think it makes a difference. The other thing I'll say about this is that a lot of self-published books kind of have this stigma of being low quality and the covers are sloppy and there's tons of spelling and grammar errors and things like that. To those authors, I say that is entirely up to you and how much energy you want to put into your book. If you want to design your cover on Canva and not edit your book and just put it up there, well then, yeah, people are probably going to look at that and say, oh, this right. is self-published. But if you want to work with an editor or a peer editor or seven peer editors and you want to hire a cover designer and you want to really go through that process like I was talking about earlier, no one's going to look at your book and be like, oh my gosh, self-published. We're not looking at that at all. It's not happening. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I'd say about that. In terms of hybrid publishers, I have relatively strong feelings about this. I have not met a hybrid publisher that I think provides enough service to charge the fees that they do. I think what they kind of 
do is say, oh, you know, we'll design your cover, we'll edit your book, and you pay us $10,000, $20,000, $30,000, whatever. I don't think that type of investment is necessary for what ends up kind of being a self-published book. And I have unfortunately seen way too many people use a hybrid publisher to, to get the name of, oh, I published under this publishing house or to get a little bit of support. And the final product is not good. Like, I'm sorry, it's just not good. The cover is low quality. The editing is messy. The formatting is not good. So if you do get approached by a hybrid publisher, I'm not saying all of them are bad, you know, no, no hate to those people's individuals or anything like that, but just really look at that and say, okay, these are the services that they're delivering. And this is what they're charging. Does this make sense? And if it does, sure. If it doesn't just be aware of that and know that there are other options for getting a high quality self-published book out there. Yeah. I remember uh, I did a self-published book years ago. And I remember some advice I got is that your self-published book should never look and feel self-published. And like you said, there is kind of that stereotype of like, yeah, it just looks like you just kind of whipped it up in, in Microsoft Word and had your you know little niece draw the cover or something. It's like, no, like you should, people should pick it up and be like, no, this belongs on the shelf of any reputable bookstore. And this looks and, and feels like it belongs amongst any other traditionally published fancy uh, book, you know, and it, and there are certainly books that have done like been bestsellers and like they look and, and feel really really professional. And then only later you find out like, oh, dang, this was self-published. Like, but it looks like they put the work into it and it belongs there. So you can absolutely do it, but yeah, it's definitely worth if you're going to do it self-published. No hate to traditional publishers either. Like yeah. if you can get a traditional publishing deal and you want that level of support and that credibility and that eligibility for bestsellers list, go for it. I just find that it has a very high barrier of entry for a lot of entrepreneurs, speakers, coaches, course creators, and people like that, that it will prevent them from sharing their story. And now it's seven years later and they're like, oh man, I kind of wished I had done that when yeah. there was the door for self-publishing right there. So just weigh your options. I mean, I'm just one person, but in my experience, that's what I've seen works really well for people. Awesome. Jesse, I know we've covered a lot and there's a lot more we could cover, but this has been super enlightening and helpful. So if people want to find out more about you and what you're up to, where can we go? So I'm actually giving away free copies of my ebook of how to heal to all of the speaker lab podcast listeners. So that link I'm hoping can be in the show notes where you can yeah. go grab a free copy of how to heal for yourself. If you're interested in mental health, if you're interested in writing stuff, I am on Instagram at Jesse Byer international. And my website is also jessiebyerinternational.com. So come say hi. I've got free stuff. I've got paid stuff, any, any support that you need. I'm happy to give that to you. Awesome. Jesse, we appreciate the time. Yes. Thanks so much for having me. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Speaker Lab Podcast. And before you take off, don't forget if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a rating and review within iTunes. We read every single one of those. It helps, it helps other people to find the show. Listen, we, we don't charge anything for you to listen to these. We don't have any ads or anything. We do this because we want to serve and support speakers like you. So one small favor we ask of you, is that you would leave us some type of a rating and review. Again, we really, really do appreciate that. If you're looking for more help, support as a speaker as you build and grow your business at whatever stage you're at, don't forget to check out thespeakerlab.com, thespeakerlab.com. We got a ton of free resources and tools over there. So again, check it out over at thespeakerlab.com. All right, my friends, that wraps up today's episode. We appreciate you hanging out with us. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.